Hey all, welcome to Eat Drink Social. My name is Michael Moeller, and throughout this podcast series, you'll be hearing from myself and the Go Social team. Go Social is a PR and social media marketing firm with offices in both Denver, Colorado, and Louisville, Kentucky. We'll be discussing social media trends and influencer best practices in the food and beverage landscape. And if you have any questions and want to reach out, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.goforthbesocial.com. Happy to be joined now by Eric Castro, host of Bartender at Large uh, from San Diego, I believe. Uh, Eric's been a, uh, you know, he's been working in the beverage industry for, what, over 20 years, I believe. And um, he's also a contributor to different publications like Eater, Punch, Imbibe. Uh, but his bread and butter is Bartender at Large podcast. Eric, thanks for coming on today. Oh man, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so your your podcast, by the way, was somewhat recently uh, named by Chilled Magazine as like the six podcasts every bartender should listen to. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> that, that that's awesome. Then, um, so before we get into um, how you got there, where where. Uh, did all this start? How did you become this um, this bartender at large? Yeah, well, sure. I think it just happened from just, you know, years of, of bartending experience. So I was like, you know, ran some bars, you know, in San Francisco, pretty much all over California. Then I opened up a few of my own spots as well. You know, I got polite provisions raised by Wolves and Boilermaker, which is out in New York. And I, you know, I just kind of saw that we, there didn't really seem to be a platform for people to talk about. You, you know, I felt like the kind of issues that were geared towards bartenders and, and bar owners and, and people who are, I guess, uh, we, we like to call them just like, you know, professional bartenders, people in the trade who work in, in spirits and cocktails. And so much of what we were seeing in regards to cocktail press was generally geared towards enthusiasts, which is great, which is great, but it's not as practical and helpful towards people who live and, and work in the trade. So we wanted to make sure we could provide that for people, but in a way that always felt like conversational and, and like easy to digest. So right now we're, we're in this little thing that we're calling the, the shutdown and, and quarantine. Um, so how has life changed for you personally since all of this has kind of began? Oh my God, it's insane. I don't even really know if we could sum that up, no matter how long we talked, I don't even you know to get all our thoughts and, and conflicting feelings out. I mean, shoot, here we are. California was one of the first places to, to go on full lockdown. So yeah, the, the two bars here are closed down, you know, the situation in New York, so Boilermaker shut down. It, it's a really tragic turn of events. I mean, I think all we're trying to do is just like everyone else doing as much as we can to keep morale up and keep our, our heads in a good place. And, and finance in a good place that way, you know, as soon as we're ready to open, regardless of what format that is, you know, we're, we're ready to take advantage of that and start getting drinks to people again. How do you, how do you envision that going once we do start slowly opening back up again? So like what, what's that first night out look like? Oh my God. Who knows? I mean, really all we can use for references, I guess, you know, it, it doesn't even translate perfectly, obviously because of, you know, it's just different cultures different systems of government and what have you, but all we can really reach out to and for reference is what's happening in, in China right now, how some of the bars are opening back up. Um, I know that a lot of the bars in China are opening up at, at, you know, uh, smaller capacity. They're reducing the crowds that are in there. I know that places particularly like Shanghai and stuff, when it 
first, you know, when they were first able to bring people back in, they were, some restaurants were only allowed to have like four tables. I mean, it was like insane, like that, that much like a table in each corner. But I think now where they're at is, you know, some bars are back to almost full capacity, but they're at about half capacity, I believe. So I'm thinking in regards to what happens here in the U S is, you know, say California, once we're able to probably let people back in, I'm guessing they'll be a little more lenient with outdoor spaces just because you have sunshine and fresh air, which is, you know, really good in terms of staying, you know, hygienic. But, you know, I think more indoor bars, which raised by Wilson, the indoor bar, we're probably going to be running at half capacity. But I think what's really um, difficult about that, and I think what a lot of people don't understand, is that bars don't necessarily turn a profit from, from reduced capacity. With most bars, they're really only making money and paying the bills until you hit a certain number, mm-hmm. you know, until you hit a certain number in volume and it's going to be really difficult to hit that number if you're only at half capacity. What um, creative things uh, have you been seeing bartenders or you know bars themselves do since the shutdown began? Anything stick out? I mean, I think I'm really impressed with some of the to-go cocktails that are going on out there, and some of the things I've seen have been extremely impressive. Uh, I can think of one bar. An example is uh, Navy Strength in Seattle, which is like a tropical tiki bar. Their way of doing to-go cocktails and their method of going about it is probably the best I've seen. Where they're not just putting your cocktail in, you know, like a, a, a Cambro or like a quart container, right? They're not just throwing it in a container and sending it out there with like painter's tape. They're actually going all out and making the cocktails look really good and really appetizing. Because I think what some people are, are forgetting is that everything that, that you're selling is a representation of your product and what you're doing and what you're about. You know, it, it represents your venue. So just because you're getting it to go doesn't mean that people shouldn't experience your bar the way it's meant to be experienced. I mean, obviously there are some variables because, you know, you, you can't control the environment of which you're having it, but you can do everything you can to curate that experience in advance. You know, I think a good example is, you know, In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. Here in, you know, throughout a lot of the, the Western U.S., their whole thing is, you know, if you order a to-go meal from McDonald's, right, or you go to the drive through they just give it to you in the bag. Yeah, I mean, in my car, who cares? It's in a bag. Get out of here. But in and out, what they ask you is like, oh, you're eating this in the car. And if you say yes, they give you like a little, you know, you get a little mat to put over your legs so you don't, so you don't get, you know, ketchup or mustard or anything on yourself. They, they wrap it for you in a way that's more conducive to eating in your car so you don't make a mess. Mm-hmm. And they give you extra napkins, which is, that just shows that they're practicing a little empathy, right? The bars that are doing it best for to-go cocktails are doing a similar format. Well, for instance, you know, as I referenced earlier, Navy Strength, they're actually printing up like, this is the cocktail you're getting. Here's a little history on it. This is the best way we, we would recommend you to make this. And everything's printed out and it looks professional. So that just reflects better on your board because I think something people have to keep in mind is once, once things reopen, you're going to have had people who've tried your cocktails to go that might have never actually stepped foot in your bar. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for you to, to build new clientele in a very uncertain era. So it's like, who knows which customer is going to come back? Who knows which customer is going to be able to afford to come back? But it's nice to know that even during the shutdown, you're still cultivating new regulars. 
I, I love the the in and out analogy that you just used, and yeah, I, I can see where you're coming yeah. with that. Uh, if if you get the the cocktail in a in a little uh, clear plastic cup and you're sent on your way, well, yeah, maybe you're a fan of the the place and you're going to go back no matter what. But if you're not, then what's so special about it? You didn't learn anything. You didn't. If you've never been, yeah. If you've never been, it just looks it looks half ass and it looks janky, right? And I mean, during the early stages, I think right now, even when we're at the shutdown, everybody I feel like is given a little bit of leniency and we totally understand during this time and era that, that it's going to happen. Yeah. But I think going forward in the coming weeks, you're really going to weed out those who really care and those who don't. So do you have, you don't necessarily have to say it if you don't want, but do you have a place in mind that you're already thinking about going to once things start opening again? Oh shoot, man. There, there's too many spots. I, I just got crazy cabin fever. I can't wait to go to, <laughs> just, I'll probably just go to the first bar I see outside of my house. You know, I like that. Um, I mostly just want to go have a beer somewhere. Yeah. I want to go to a brewery. I want to sit down. I want to have a beer. It's kind of misplaced. And my neighborhood in San Diego has about, I don't know, 15, 20 breweries. So, that, you know, I'll probably just go to the closest one. <laughs> I like that. Just throw a rock and whatever one you hit, you'll go to. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you've, you've also served as, as a brand ambassador uh, before for, I think, a couple mm-hmm. of different brands at least. Uh, what, what kind of brands do you like to represent? Just like the types. Um, you know, I, here's here's a, a, a philosophy I have. I will never work with a brand that I wouldn't drink at my own house. And I mean, even you know, with bartender large, you know, we've done you know social media you know campaigns and stuff with brands before in the past on Instagram. And by the way, if you're not following bartender large on Instagram, you should go do that at bartender large. But you know, on a more serious note, really, our perspective is. If I won't drink it at my house, I won't work with them. So tons of times we've told brands, no, like, no, I'm sorry, but, you know, this, um, you know, cupcake tequila just isn't exactly our demographic or what we're interested in working with. So my whole thing is because if you wouldn't drink it in your house, that means that you're not passionate about it. If you're not passionate about it, that means you're not going to be real about it in your enthusiasm. And if you're not going to be real about it in your enthusiasm, it's going to be obvious. People are going to see that you're faking and they're going to see that you don't care. In a way, I feel like that almost makes you more valuable because your endorsement becomes more more noteworthy. It becomes like as though it's worth more than just, you know, representing anything that comes along. This is, you know, it's vitamin C energy drink that has, you know, botanicals and, and vodka in it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a million of those products, so it's important to not align yourself with that if that's not something that you're passionate about. It, it actually means something, and authenticity is kind of hard to fake anyway, so it's a good, uh, good strategy. Yeah, it is, you know? And, you know, it's like for, I spent two years of my life working with uh, Beef Eater and Plymouth Gin. I was the brand ambassador for both of those gins. And that was an easy sell because those were the gins that we use, uh, you know, in our, as our first pour at Rickhouse, a bar I was managing in San Francisco at the time. So... You know, we were, I think, their top account in, in Northern California. So it was just, it just made sense. People were like, oh, well, you, how do you feel about this gin? It's like, well, shoot, you know, I'm killing about two or three cases a week at my bar. If you ask me how I feel about it, sure. that's how I feel about it. You're not faking it, you know, it's something that you believe in where you can actually legitimately say like, hey, I was pushing this stuff on people before I was getting paid to do it. I did it just because I like it. I like the gin that much. So it's important for people to keep that in mind. However, for advice for like up and coming bartenders who were, considering maybe becoming a brand ambassador or going down that route. The thing I would tell them is be very careful about who you work with and where you want to go 
category-wise because sometimes, especially when you're early in your career, if you become associated with a brand, it's, that's what people will remember you as forever. Hmm. So if you become known as the person who, who you know, just what is you know up for bid for you know for the highest bidder you know you work for like I don't know the cupcake tequila right I just said then you're always going to be known as that cupcake tequila person right which you know maybe you know good maybe bad depends on what you want to get from the industry or what you want to get back to the industry but you know for instance if you want to be the tequila guy that's what you want to be known as then keep that in mind you're like okay I'm going to work for this really small tequila company if you have a small budget. And then I'm going to go work for the second tequila company and know that like, as you work your way, you know, through the ranks, you're only going to learn more and more about that category. So I do know people who specifically been like, I don't want to go from gin to scotch to Japanese whiskey to bourbon. They don't want to do that. They're like, I want to stick in one category. So I'll be patient so I can find that one, that one spirit that I, that I want to grow within. So keep that in mind if you're a bartender who's looking to move up or, you know, move into the brand ambassador route. Good, good advice. And now I'm strangely uh, having a craving for a cupcake tequila, even though I've never had one before. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think it exists, to be honest. <laughs> I just something I could of. But you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I probably should have said that because somebody listening will probably, you know, pitch that to their marketing team and put it out to market. Totally. Um, so going back to your, your, your podcast, Bartender at Large, just real, real fast, any, any interesting guests stick out over that you've had over your, uh, however many episodes you've done? I mean, shoot, we've had, we've had so many. We've had so many. There, there are a few that I've, I'm very passionate about, I'm very excited about that that we've done. Uh, for instance, um, you know, just last week, just last week, or a couple weeks ago now, we had uh, Chris Louder on. He's actually a, a uh, bartender, and he works with a lot of bars in Asia, in China specifically. And he was actually providing a lot of insight that, that's been going on with, with the coronavirus and how their industry has been dealing with it. And since they're on like a two or three month curve ahead of ours, I feel like that kind of um, added a lot of value to, to people who are trying to navigate their way through this, you know, whether they're bartending in, in Europe or Canada or, or the U S I felt that was really important, but actually one of my favorite episodes might be the one that we did with Julio Bermejo, hmm. Julio Bermejo and beach Bumberry. Those were each double episodes, you know, like a full hour each. And it, those are just, two men who I can think of in this industry who've just contributed so much and given so much to our industry for, you know, 30 plus years. It was great to finally, you know, be able to sit down with a couple of my idols and people who I really look up to. On the social media side, you have both, as I mentioned before, bartender at large, but then you also, your personal one is hungry bartender. Um, yeah, yeah, that's me. As, as far as being a mixologist on social media goes, how do you how do you best use social to get in front of people? Shoot, I guess the way we treat social, you know, my, my personal one tends to be just me kind of just screwed around and being being crazy. And there's things I here's actually a bit of advice. I keep bartender at large and hungry bartender, my personal one, completely separate. Um, you know, like say things like I don't post political stuff on bartender at large. I don't I don't even refer to Bartender large is I. I don't use sure. you know the, any terminology. I thought this drink was great. No, it's like that's its own format, its own beast. And I feel like if you don't respect that, then it, then it, it's just not going to make sense. There's going to be an incongruency there. Whereas you know, hungry bartender is just me, just kind of screwing around. Like, oh, here's an old photo of me from ten years ago bartending an event. You know, it's just whatever. Just just kind of that. That's where I get to express myself on the more personal side. But social media is one of those things. It's, it's Especially Instagram, I feel like it's such a good format for presenting cocktails in what we do. 
And it's nice because you avoid all the negativity that you get on Twitter and Facebook, where, you know, Facebook is just people's grandparents arguing about politics. And, and Twitter is, I don't know what the heck it's devolved into now, but, if, you know, it's just people, strangers yelling at each other. But meanwhile, I feel like Instagram is still, because of the format and the way it's presented, it still remains a little more positive. Um, because I think mostly because it's harder to argue in the comments. The, the comments, it's, it's really difficult to track who's keeping track of which argument at any given time. But yeah, we, we like this, um, you know, promoting the show and stuff, and even our documentary we've worked on, we like promoting that on Instagram just because it doesn't cost anything. Like, Instagram is $0 a month. It's a $0 membership fee. Mm-hmm. So it's just, if you're not using it, you're a little bit crazy. And honestly, I'm even, we were even a couple years late to Instagram. We, we came on, I like, think, after it already taken off. But it, it's still something that I think is really important for, for connecting with our audience directly. And, you know, it's a lot of fun just kind of going through and looking at memes and stuff like that as well. And we actually have a new project. I want to make sure I mention it. Yeah. Uh, we actually launched um, a 501c3, like a, a charitable nonprofit, um, you know, through through um, our network called the Institute for Better Drinking. And originally the, the concept was meant to be, you know, as a way to offer trade scholarships and, and grants and stuff like that to bartenders working in the industry. But now we've actually just took a pivot. We only recently launched maybe a couple weeks ago, but we just pivoted over to now trying to help bartenders who are out of work during, um, you know, the shutdown of coronavirus crisis. That's awesome. Congratulations. And thank you for doing that. Yeah, it feels good. It feels good to get back. Um, so podcasts being, you know, mostly, uh, audio, uh, type of medium. Um, how do you use an Instagram like, or rather platform like Instagram that is mostly visual to share, that information. Do you ever find yourself sharing audio clips and stories or on the post? We haven't. I know a lot of people do. We actually really haven't done that yet. Uh, it just hasn't seemed, it hasn't really felt natural to us yet, but that, that doesn't mean we won't do it in the future. But here's the, here's the tricky part is that Barton Large, when it first came out, was actually meant not to be its own, you know, like serialized podcast, but rather. Um, as a way to just promote our documentary, we put out a bartender at large documentary, which is available on, on gumroad.com uh, for free or Vimeo as well. If anybody wants it, I think it's like three nine nine on Vimeo, but it's free over at gumroad.com. And we actually kind of saw it as like, Oh, well we worked on this documentary. Let, you know, let's promote it. And the documentary did fairly well. We screened it all over the world, but it, it, we ended up getting in a position where, you know, once the documentary kind of faded out, we were like, sure, well, this podcast, we should just keep it going. And it was originally on YouTube, like being on like a, a non-visual podcast was actually just a side effect of a side effect. Yeah. We'd originally intended it to be a YouTube show and then we were just posting it online to iTunes and stuff just as a secondary thing just for fun. And now it's like time has gone by. We've realized that it's like, you know, the podcast has outlived the documentary and outlived the YouTube show and just kind of just become its own thing. So... I guess that what I'm really trying to say is it's it's important to keep your 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 concept open when you're putting something together because you never know which direction it's going to evolve. Yeah, I like that. I agree. Um, you, um, I, I assume as a bartender, you, you follow different spirit brands on social. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you how do you see them? performing like do you think they're doing a good job or if you were like a vp of marketing for a brand what would you like to see changed about how you want to know something weird there still isn't 
a single brand I can think of that has a really good Instagram. Really? That I can think of. Like, I mean, like, like prominent liquor company. Yeah. I'm not saying they're, they're, that they're terrible, that, that they're all terrible, but there isn't any that I, that I can think of that's really good. Do you, do you think, when you, when you say that, are you thinking it's lack, lacking photography, lacking personality, lacking... Yeah, I mean, you even look at, like, I mean, I'm a big Disney head, and you even look at a company like Disneyland, their Instagram sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like you look at some of these big major companies, I think what it is is that they're, they have marketing companies that aren't dynamic and aren't tuned in with what's going on because maybe, I don't want to say it's an age thing because I've met people who are like in their 50s and 60s who are like amazing at social media, you know? And then I've also met people who are like, you know, 19, 20 years old and they don't even know what a good photo is from a, from a bad photo. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's just how engaged your marketing people are and, and, your, and your, your social media teams and some of them just don't get it. There are people out there who legitimately just don't know what a good photo looks like. And unfortunately, those are the people who are deciding, you know, where like, you know, uh, you know, a $200,000 budget for, for like an Irish whiskey is going to go. Yeah. I think a lot of it also, you know, so, I think a lot of it also has to do with being, you know, b- bigger, the bigger the corporation is, the more conservative they might try to play. So they don't really, yeah, have, yeah. really have fun on social. I mean, even like, I mean, I hate to bring the Disney experience up because I know it's um, obviously it's like a cocktail podcast, but like with, with their budget, they just can't hire some photographers to go around and take photos of the park. <laughs> yeah. For real, you know? Instead, they just regram. If you do see good photos, it's a regram from somebody who actually took a good photo. But, you know, I think it is. It's like you look at some of these big liquor companies. I don't want to call any names or anything, but so many of their social medias are just terrible. I mean, their Instagrams are just, they're just really bad photos. You know, or, you know, like the marketing guy might be, you know, the, whoever's in charge of it, right? The marketing guy or yeah, whoever happens to be is like, oh, we want the bottle displayed in every single photo, like up front and personal. Yeah. And if you do that on every photo, people just tune out because it's so obvious that it's just, a, it's just an ad that, you know, they, they don't want to look at it. Again, I think we go back to that uh, authenticity factor. It's you know, it's just art. people caring. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about how bars are doing some unique things and going the extra mile uh, when it comes to their products, but have you seen anything similar on social for how certain bars are standing out right now at this time? I'm trying to think, you know, which bars are doing really well. I know Attaboy in New York, they have a really funny Instagram. They're doing to-go cocktails, and they're doing like a really fun kind of cheeky way. You know, it's obvious that they're just doing it like in house, but it it feels very, it just feels very intimate. You feel like you're, you're in on the joke. Like they're playing around like, Oh, Hey, look at this. Yada, yada. You know, they're making fun of each other and they're having fun with it. So I feel like just cause you're a smaller bar with a smaller budget, you know, I think that bar maybe holds, you know, 35 people just because you don't have the massive budget, you know, of like a hotel chain or a restaurant group. It doesn't mean that, that you can't be, doing cool things and working with what you have. And I think what Attaboy's doing is a perfect example of that. Nice. Um, during the shutdown, I, I feel like I'd love to see the numbers behind this. I don't know for sure, but it's just a gut feeling that more and more people have downloaded TikTok. Um, which is <laughs> yeah, it seems like that. Yeah, so have you, have you been fooling around with that at all? Is that, is that going to be an interest point for you? Uh, I've, I've messed around with it a couple of times. I have an account, but you know, I just don't, I don't think I've ever really done anything with it. Um, I mean, it looks fun. I've actually seen some people do really fun stuff on it, like really fun videos on it. I just haven't gotten around to doing it myself. 
That's fair. Um, are there on Instagram at least? Uh, are there you know other fun cocktail accounts that we should be following, whether it be you know bartenders or trade or anything like that that you'd recommend? I mean, there's a a lot of bars have beautiful accounts. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, my friends at Lost Lake they have a really good account. Their, their social media is really good. They just always have really just good looking photos. I'm trying to think uh, who who else who else has some really good ones. Smuggler's Cove has a really good one. Um, trying to think, trying to think which other ones. I've always been a fan of uh, Death and Companies. Oh, Death and Company! Oh, Death and Company has an incredible one. Death and Company might actually have, I would say, the best, most fully conceived and conceptualized like Instagram account in like the spirits industry. <laughs> you know, and that includes brands and massive hotels. Theirs just looks great. The photography is beautiful. Everything's kind of in theme. You know, I'm 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 a photographer myself, so it's like it's fun to be able to, to look at something like all the photos are shot in a similar style, regardless of the venue. So it kind of gives everything a very cohesive rounded out, well-conceived um, feeling and vibe to it. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Um, on a personal note. So I'm trying to get uh, more into uh, some home cocktails right now. And I've learned mm-hmm. over the last year or so that I really enjoy a good smoke cocktail. Um, but yeah, I don't know how to do that at home. So there are different, um, machines and, and different things that you can do. Um, have you found that's an easy experience to replicate at home for a novice? Um, I know there are some companies that sell some gadgets that make it pretty easy. So, you know, I haven't really found any that I, I feel very silly recommending like a home bartender to buy like, you know, $200 worth of gear to make home cocktails at home. Yeah. Actually, we actually just launched something called uh, market cocktails. Hashtag market cocktails on bartender at large. Okay. It's specifically due to the shutdowns and we specifically are posting recipes that are really delicious, really inventive, but you could find all the ingredients like at target or your, your local bodega. Oh, that's awesome. Because we specifically are like, look, I feel like such a jackass telling people like, Oh, you need a bottle of chartreuse BEP. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, you know, Benedictine infused with lemongrass and, you know, doing right now when people are on a budget, you know, because people don't know when they're going to get back to work. It, that's a kind of a dick move to do. So, well, what we try to conceive with market cocktails, we're like, hey, look, man, like, you give me just probably whatever you have in your pantry already. And, you know, just a, just a few super simple liqueurs that you can buy at any liquor store or any grocery store, depending on where you're at. And we're going to give you some amazing cocktails that you can make. Well, uh, MacGyver some cocktails at home. That's awesome. Um, I don't want to, you know, you have, you you have to, right. It's just, it just makes sense. Otherwise it's silly to just tell people that they need to go and buy, you know, 14 bottles and and then track down an $80 bottle of like dingleberry liqueur. Yeah. And just to make one turns out they might not even like it. So then they have this extra bottle in their house. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Which is probably more likely than not because a lot of bad recipes are, running amok on social media. <laughs> That's good to know. Well, I, yeah. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We already touched a little bit on the 501c3 that you got going on. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else that you'd like to, to plug in the future? Any episodes of Bartender at Large you're excited about? Uh, shoot, I would just say everybody stay tuned. We have tons of episodes um, on the podcast in the pipeline. You know, even with the, 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 the coronavirus shutdown, we have, I think, like two months worth of episodes already on deck because we, we've been recording a bunch. So, we're not going to run of episodes, so everybody just keep tuning in, and we'll have you covered. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
All right, everybody, that wraps up today's episode of Eat, Drink, Social. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to share or maybe you know somebody that does, feel free to reach out to us. 